Good morning. As we begin this morning, I would like to wish a happy Father's Day to all of the fathers and grandfathers who we have here with us this morning. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for who you are and for everything that you do. We appreciate what you do for your families, but even more than that, we appreciate what you do for the Lord. We appreciate what you do for His church here at Seven Oaks. I think one thing we need to realize and one thing that we need to empathize with on a day like this one is that not everybody has the same kind of feelings on Father's Day. I hope that today is a day of great joy and celebration in your life. I hope that today is one where you're able to bestow honor to whom honor is due. Scripture teaches us to do that. But it's not that way for everybody. For some, Father's Day brings up painful memories. For some, Father's Day brings about feelings of neglect, feelings of abuse and mistreatment. For some, Father's Day brings about feelings of sadness and grief for fathers who are no longer with us. Feelings of worry and anxiety for fathers who have never made the decision to commit their lives to Jesus. On a day like this one, everybody has different feelings. But regardless of where we might be this morning, regardless of the kind of feelings that we might have, I think one thing that we can all agree on as members of the Lord's church, members of Jesus' body, is that our world needs Godly fathers. Our congregations, our churches, our families need godly fathers. I'm reminded of a Spanish story of a father and a son who were estranged. The son decided to leave home, and so the father set out after him. For many months, the father was looking for his son, trying to track down his son, but wasn't successful. So in a last-ditch effort to get in contact with his son and to repair that relationship, he put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And that ad read something like this. It read, Dear Paco, this is your father. Please meet me in front of the newspaper office this coming Saturday at noon. I want you to know that all is forgiven and that I love you very much. Well, you fast forward to that Saturday at noon, his father was standing there in front of the newspaper office waiting for his son to show up. The bad news is that his son didn't show up. His son didn't come, but did you know what happened? 800 different young men named Paco showed up looking for love and forgiveness from their fathers. While that's just a story, I think it makes a point that's pretty applicable, a point that is pretty relevant to our world, to our family, to our society and our congregations. We need godly fathers. But then we run into the question, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a godly father? I want to give the same disclaimer this morning that I gave almost two months ago on Mother's Day. Even though I hope to be a father one day, I'm not a father yet. 
And because of that, I realize that I don't understand. I don't fully comprehend all of the feelings and the emotions and the responsibilities that come along with being a father. But as always, our job in assemblies like this one is not to communicate experience. It's not to communicate feelings. But it's to communicate what Scripture teaches. To take a look, to study what God has breathed into the pages of this book. So this morning, let's consider Scripture. According to the Word of God, what does it look like to be a godly father? Whenever we study and whenever we read what God has breathed out from His very mouth, what we have preserved for us in the pages of Holy Scripture, what does it look like to not just be a father, but to be a father who is godly? Maybe you are a father or grandfather. What does it look like for you to not just be a father or grandfather, but a godly father? A godly grandfather. Maybe you're like me and, and you hope to be a father one day. What do you need to understand about that topic? What do you need to do in order to prepare yourself to be there one day? For those who are children, mothers, grandmothers, what should you expect out of the fathers in your life according to what Scripture teaches? Well, I want us to say four things in response to that question this morning. Number one, a godly father is the leader of his household. Whenever we say that, perhaps we need to clarify what we're saying. Perhaps we need to define exactly what that means. Whenever we say that a godly father is to be the leader of his household, what we're not saying is that he's to be a dictator. What we're not saying is that he is to be an authoritarian. Whenever we say that the father is the godly father is going to be the leader of his household, we are not saying that he doesn't need to consider the thoughts of his wife or the opinions of his children whenever there's a decision to be made. I think if a father's doing what God wants him to do when there's a certain decision that needs to be made, he's going to consider what his wife thinks. He's going to consider what his children think about that. When we say that a godly father is to be the leader of his household, we're not saying that he is worth more qualitatively than any other member of his household. What we are saying, however, is that the purpose, the function that God has designed for the father in the home is to be the leader. Especially the spiritual leader. It goes all the way back to creation. For instance, if you go to 1 Timothy, the second chapter, and you begin in verse 11, Paul says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And here's the reason. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. In that passage, Paul is talking about male headship, not only in the church, but also in the home. The reason that he gives for that is rooted in two things. First, the order in which male and female were created. And second, the order in which they sinned. Paul establishes male headship on the idea that Adam was created first and then Eve was created from his rib. Adam was not the one who was deceived, but the woman was deceived by the serpent and she became a transgressor based on those two ideas. Not, it's not a cultural idea, but based on creation itself. 
we see that the male is to be the leader in his household. Genesis, the third chapter, in verse number 16, takes place immediately after the fall. God speaks to the serpent in the few verses before it, verses 14 and 15. He's going to speak to Adam in the few verses after it, in verses 17 through 19. But you notice what he says to the woman in verse number 16. He says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And notice this last part. He shall rule over you. What does it look like to be a godly father? A godly father is going to step up and lead his household. We see it throughout the pages of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Remember here, we're not talking about quality. We're not saying that a husband is more important in the eyes of God than his wife. We're not saying that a father is more important or worth more in the eyes of God than his children. Instead, we're talking about purpose. We're talking about function. This is the purpose that the father is to occupy. He is to be the head of his household. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23 says that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is Himself its Savior. What does it look like to be a godly father? A godly father is the leader of his household. I believe that we find a powerful example of that when we go to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. When you study the book of Joshua from the very beginning, Joshua is the one who takes over after Moses dies. He's the one who leads the children of Israel into the promised land. He leads them as they conquer the promised land. And he leads them as they settle down in their different territories in the promised land. Well, here in Joshua 24, he's near the end of his life. And he's speaking to the nation of Israel, calling on them to make a choice. Calling on them to recommit to their covenant calling and purpose. And here's what he says. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. This is the command, Israel. This is what you're supposed to do. Put away your idols and serve God. But He's not going to force them into that decision. Notice He leaves it up to their choice. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Fathers, that's what it looks like to be the leader of your household. You can lead your household financially, socially, and morally. But if you don't lead your household in this way, if you don't lead your household spiritually, you're not fulfilling the purpose or function that God has created for you. Don't leave it up to your wife. Because it's not her job. Your household shouldn't be governed by the wants, the desires, or the schedule of your children. As the father, it's your responsibility to step up. It's your responsibility to put your foot down and to say, I've made my choice. I've made my decision. 
Everybody else can do what they want to do. Every other household can make whatever decision they want to make. But I've made my choice, not just for me, but for my house, what we're going to do is we're going to serve the Lord. He's going to be our number one priority. He's going to be our number one pursuit. Everything that takes place in this house is going to go back to the Lord. Again, you can be the provider. You can be the breadwinner. You can be the one who sets the rules and the expectations in your house. But if you're not bringing your wife and children closer to Jesus, if you're not helping them to grow in relationship with Him, you're not fulfilling the role that God has designed for you. What does it look like to be a godly father? A godly father is the leader of his household. Number two, a godly father loves his wife. When we go back to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and we look at just a little bit wider there in verses 25 through 30, notice the command that Paul gives to husbands. Husbands, it's not optional, it's a command. Love your wives. What does it look like? as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is making a point about Christ and the church. The kind of relationship that exists between Jesus as the head and the church as His body, in order to communicate that relationship, he talks about what the marriage relationship should look like. The relationship that should exist between a husband and a wife. What does it look like? Fathers, husbands, what is your responsibility? Love your wife. Just like Christ loves the church. Love your wife just like you love yourself. You go all the way back to Genesis 2 and verse 24, which is quoted a little bit later here in Ephesians chapter 5. What is marriage supposed to look like? A husband leaves his father and his mother and he becomes bound to his wife. The two become what? One flesh. That's why Paul's able to say when you love your wife, you are loving yourself. Your wife is such an integral and important part to who you are that when you love her, Paul says, you're actually loving yourself because you have become one flesh with her. You nourish and cherish your own body. Jesus nourishes and cherishes His church. So fathers, husbands, what's the responsibility? Nourish and cherish your wife. I love what Proverbs 31 and verse 28 says. King Lemuel is talking about the virtuous woman. And he says that her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. You know what's so sad? Oftentimes, whenever we read that verse. Even within, that, even within the church, sometimes the very opposite of that is what takes place. Instead of a husband rising up alongside of his children and blessing and praising his wife, a husband rises up and criticizes his wife in front of his children. Puts her down 
in front of His children. King Lemuel, the Proverbs writer, talking to us about wisdom, talking to us in this context about the virtuous woman, he says that's not the way that it's going to be. He says, as a father, as a husband, you have the responsibility to rise up, especially when you're in front of your children, to praise your wife, to bless your wife. What does it look like to be a godly father? A godly father is going to love his wife. He's going to praise her and bless her. And you might be wondering, what does that look like? What does it look like as a husband or a father to praise and bless my wife and to love her like Jesus loves the church? Here's what I would suggest to you. It might be a good place to start. Read the Song of Solomon this week. You don't want to say to your wife exactly what Solomon says to his. Okay, don't use the same metaphors, but allow his example to encourage you. Read through the Song of Solomon. Notice how Solomon praises his wife and allow that encourage you to do the same. Godly fathers love their wives. Fathers, I want to ask you a question and I think that it should be a pretty easy question. A question that you should answer immediately. Do you love your wife? And I think everyone in here would say, if you're in that situation, you'd say, yes, of course, I love my wife. Okay, here's a question that's just a little bit harder. When was the last time that you were intentional about showing her that? When was the last time that you were intentional about saying, hey, I'm going to love my wife just like Jesus loves the church. And I'm going to love her like I love myself. And and I'm going to make sure that I'm nourishing her and cherishing her just like I nourish and cherish my own body and just like Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church. When was the last time that you gave a compliment? When was the last time that you were intentional to rise up in front of your children and to bless her, to praise her for everything that she does. A godly father is going to love his wife. But since it's Father's Day, let's tie this into being a father. I came across a quote from an unknown source, and here's what it said. It said, the greatest gift a father can give to his children is to love their mother. Don't you agree with that? I mean, I think we could tweak it just a little bit. I'd say it's one of the greatest gifts. The greatest gift that a father can give to his children, as we'll see in just a few moments, is to help them come to know Jesus. But I'd say one of the greatest gifts that a father can give to his children is to love their mother. Because when you love their mother, when you love your wife, you're showing them not only what the marriage relationship looks like, but you're teaching them something from Ephesians 5 about Jesus and His church. What a beautiful thing that is. Number three, a godly father is going to encourage. He's going to instruct his children in the Lord. I love how Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Paul's talking about his work in the city of Thessalonica. His work among the Thessalonians. And here's what he says. He says, remember how I worked among you and I interacted with you like a father should interact with his children. In other words, what I did with you is what a father does with his children. What is it? Look at the key words. The father exhorts. The father encourages. He charges. He urges his children to walk in a manner that is worthy of God. Paul says, 
in verse number 12, this is something that is done to each one of them. A godly father is not going to play favorites with his children. Instead, he's going to encourage all of them where they are to be faithful to Jesus, to fall deeper in love with Jesus. If you go just a few verses above this to verse number 9, Paul says this is something he did both day and night. Fathers, you don't get a day off from this. Every single day, every single night, it's your responsibility to encourage your children to live their lives in a way that they are worthy of God. To be faithful to Jesus. To draw deeper in relationship with Him. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 communicates the same idea. Where Paul addresses the fathers directly. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There, Paul offers two commands. One is negative, one is positive. He offers two commands. One is telling fathers what not to do, and the other one is telling them what they should do instead. Let's start with the negative one. Fathers, here's what you don't do. Do not provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? I like what Clinton Arnold has to say about this. I think I've shared this quote with you before. But Clinton Arnold in his commentary on Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says this passage effectively rules out. And so when we read through this list, fathers, think about you. Think about how you interact with your children. He says this passage rules out reactionary flare-ups, overly harsh words, Insults, sarcasm, nagging, demeaning comments, inappropriate teasing, unreasonable demands, and anything else that can be perceived as provocative. Fathers, this is what you don't do. You do not provoke your children to anger. And when you think about the first century context, and maybe even our context today, we might expect Paul to say something like, Children, make sure that you don't provoke your fathers to anger. Make sure you don't do anything to make your fathers mad. It's not what Paul says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But instead, here's what you're supposed to do. Bring them up. Pause. Fathers, you are to be involved in how your children are brought up. And if you go back to what we said just a few moments ago, the first point that we made, it is your responsibility to be the leader in how your children are brought up. This is not just your wife's job. This is not something that is to be put off completely on her. Paul says, fathers, this is your responsibility. There's no excuse for a father being absent in how a child is raised. Paul says you don't provoke them to anger. Instead, you bring them up. How? In the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. He says as you lead their raising, as you bring them up, you teach them about Jesus. You instruct them in what Jesus desires for their lives. And when they go against that, he says you, you provide discipline for them. What does it look like to be a godly father? A godly father encourages. He instructs his children. The last three words are important. In the Lord. I'm reminded of a story of a young man who was standing trial before a judge. He was about to be sentenced to spend some time in jail. The judge had known this young man from the time he was knee-high to a grasshopper. From the time when he was just a little 
kid because the judge knew his father really well. See, this young man's father was a very famous and well-known lawyer. He had wrote an exhaustive study called The Law of Trust, and anyone who worked in a courtroom was familiar with that work at that time. So trying to prod the young man's conscience just a little bit, because he had known him for so long, he says, as you're standing here today, and you think back on your wonderful father, what do you remember about him? The young man took just a second, and then he started talking. Well, I, I remember one time, I went to my father for advice, and he looked up from the manuscript where he was working and writing his book, and told me, go away. You know I don't have time for this. You know that I have deadlines to meet. Go and ask your mother. I remember another time, whenever I went up to my dad and asked him to go out in the backyard and throw baseball with me. I was practicing for a game that I had just a few days later. And again, he looked up from his study and told me that he didn't have time. He had deadlines to meet and I needed to go ask my mom or ask one of my siblings to throw the baseball with me. He told the judge, you remember my father as a great lawyer and a scholar, but I remember him as a lost friend. Fathers, how are your children going to remember you? Are they going to remember you as a lost friend? What could have been but never was? Or are they going to remember you as the one who taught them about Jesus? The one who taught them what it looks like to fall in love with Jesus? The one who modeled through the decisions in everyday life what it looks like to walk in a way that is worthy of God? What does it look like to be a godly father? I think these three ideas are important from Scripture. There's a lot more we could say. A godly father is the leader of his household. He loves his wife. He encourages and instructs his children in the Lord. But yet, there's one more thing that I want us to say in response to this question. And I think this last point really summarizes anything we could say in response to this question and everything we have said so far. Number four, a godly father ultimately reflects our Heavenly Father. When you read through Scripture, oftentimes you're going to find God described as a father. Have you ever thought about why that is? A godly father is going to reflect God. Earthly fathers are to be reflections of the character and the action of our Heavenly Father. Did you catch that in our Scripture reading? Psalms 103 and verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. What do earthly fathers do? They show compassion. What does the heavenly Father do? He shows compassion. What do you walk away from that verse saying? We walk away from that verse saying that earthly fathers should be very vivid depictions of our heavenly Father. I like what Eric Mason has to say about this. He says we need fathers... And we're only going to be fathers to our children when we see that true fatherhood is rooted and defined in God the Father. If you had to define true fatherhood, what kind of definition would you give? What kind of response would you give? Scripture gives us this response. True fatherhood 
is not just about teaching children how to do things. It's not just about instructing or loving. It's about being a reflection of God. As a father, you can do all three of those things that we've talked about. You can be the leader of your household. You can love your wife more than anything else. You can encourage and instruct your children in the way that they need to go and still not be a godly father. If you're going to be a godly father, you have to reflect God. Be genuinely converted to Him. Be transformed by Him. Live your life every single day genuinely and authentically for His glory. Then and only then can you truly be a godly father. That's important to note because statistically speaking, how your children view God begins with how they view you as their father. How they're going to view and think about their father in heaven begins with how they view their earthly father. Fathers, how do you think your children view God? based on what they see in your life. Godly fathers must reflect God. And when that happens, everything else is going to fall into place. But that's not just a call for fathers, is it? In our daily lives, we are to all be imitators of God as His beloved children in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. So maybe you're struggling in that pursuit. Maybe you would like to begin that pursuit in the waters of baptism this morning. We'd love to help you as Jeff comes and leads us in our invitation song.